welcome to the Keen on Yoga podcast, bringing you the stories of many people who in various ways are attempting to walk the path of yoga. Our intention is to inspire your own practice and commitment to yoga beyond the mat and in all areas of life. We consider this an offering, a service to the community and labour of love. If you feel inclined, any donations are appreciated, just visit our page and click the donate button at www.keenonyoga.co.uk forward slash podcast. I hope you enjoy the show. Robert Moses has taught yoga now for over 50 years. He originally trained as a Shivananda teacher after leaving his native South Africa at a young age. He travelled around Europe in a VW van he bought in London with a friend. And this was the late 1960s, so he was soon on his way to India, relinquishing a promising career in architecture to visit the ashram of Swami Shivananda in Rishikesh. He then went on, after some transformative experiences, to serve in the Shivananda ashrams in upstate New York, as well as the Bahamas. And it was in the New York ashram that he was introduced to Ashtanga Yoga through the late Norman Allen, who came to stay for a period. He describes being amazed at the yoga, so much more dynamic than what he had trained in. He calls it a whirling energy around a steady centre. So he took it up for a period, and while serving in the Bahamas ashram, he met and introduced Ashtanga to the late Derek Island, credited as bringing Ashtanga Yoga to Europe through his centre, the practice place in Crete, somewhere where I learned and worked as a cook for a number of years. Then in the late 1980s, Robert renounced his title of Swami and became a householder, marrying and raising three children in a remote rural location in New Hampshire. However, he has continued teaching and practising his real love, Advaita Vedanta, through ritual and meditation. He's also the founder of the much-loved Namarupa magazine with Eddie Stern and until recently led annual pilgrimages to sacred sites of India. So welcome, Robert, to the Keenan Yoga podcast. Welcome, Robert, to the Keenan Yoga podcast. I'm really happy at last to have you on. Uh, thanks for coming. Uh, do you just want to start giving a little bit of your background? I mean, you've got an incredible backstory that... We don't rehash over here too much at Keenan Yoga on uh, on the history, but I have to give you a little bit of time to just tell a little bit of your introduction, how how you came from South Africa, where you were born, uh, to present day Robert in New Hampshire. In a in a <laughs> in a nutshell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I was born in South Africa in yeah. 1949, yeah. which makes me 71. Oh my God! And. Uh, <laughs> All right. I didn't know you look very well for your age. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. I uh, grew up there during apartheid era and in a kind of a middle-class suburban Jewish family. I went to study architecture and during that time became interested in spiritual life. And then I left South Africa to go traveling and study architectural buildings in Europe, during which time somebody gave me a book by Swami Shivananda in which it said, meditate, be a vegetarian, quit smoking, and all these things were happening to me anyway. So I thought I would do that. Why, why, did, you, um, why did you have the interest in spiritual life in the first place? That wasn't, I mean, 
it wasn't going to be anything that anyone probably around you was interested in at the time. Like what, what spurred uh, it on? What peaked, what peaked it? Yeah. Um, well, according to later on, when I afterwards, many years later, met Dr. Robert Swoboda, he pointed out that my Jyotish chart for 20 odd years was ruled by Jupiter and Jupiter is the guru who guides you towards whatever. And that period of time, right when I became interested in something uh, spiritual was the moment when Jupiter took over my Jyotish chart for the next 20 odd years. So Just I can't have, say that I did anything in particular. <laughs> but there must have been well, there must be some events or something, you know, like you're just kind of like in the South African hinterland and you know, like there wasn't any gods around you to or any yoga around you probably. I mean how I, I when I said I wanted your backstory in a nutshell, I didn't mean like do one minute. <laughs> like what, <laughs> what what why? You know, like people ask me the same thing. Like I come from a play, place called Essex in uh, just outside London. Now it's not known for its uh, spiritual tendencies. <laughs> like and uh, yeah, I, yeah. I mean, I, it's not my podcast. Well, it is my podcast. But you know, what, why did you get into it? Like, what's what was the like? Was there any any particular occurrence, or do you not feel a semblance to towards your you know what everyone else was doing then, or you know what what, what was it? Well, I mean, this was the time, this was 19, the, end, the middle 60s, end of the 60s. So this was a time when a whole lot of young people were disillusioned with materialism. And they were looking, this was the beginning of the hippies, the start, beatniks, hippies. And we did have a group of friends and one of them said to me, out of the blue, religion is the answer. Just like that. And for some reason it resonated uh, with me. And I was curious about, I had also had to do one nine months military training. And during that time I had, one, you, you do about six weeks very intensive training and then basically the army has to find something for you to do because we weren't actively fighting a war. So what we did was guard duty and we would spend about two to four hours, usually from like midnight to 4 a.m. or 2 a.m. to 6 a.m. outside alone trying to stay awake. <laughs> and during that time, I think I began really looking up at the stars and I began to wonder, you know, what is all this about? Why are we here? What is going on? What, how did this universe get here? And then, then I went to university and studied architecture and the first year was thrilling. And we delved into, and we were architects who were going to save the world through architecture. Right. That, that kind of fervor. Yeah, and yeah. then the next year, the next year was disillusioning because the lecturer was no good and <laughs> things started to. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. during that time, I I met a friend who you know he said, religion is the answer to what we were all trying to do. So 
it just sparked something off inside of me. Um, you know, looking yeah. back, it's difficult to well, know exactly where and what. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And then where where you you went to? As I remember from kind of cribbing off Harmony's podcast you did, I think you went to Paris after that. Did you flew to Paris? Then you kind of like it was cold and rainy, so you thought. Oh, oh, and you couldn't understand the language. You thought, well, I come to London, at least like, it's cold and rainy and we can understand the, the language here. Uh, and then you bought a VW van and, and, and then, what, then what did you do? Well, the people that sold us the VW van outside the American Express in Trafalgar Square uh, <laughs> gave me a book. <laughs> he gave me a, the, the guy, there was a couple and the guy gave me a book and the book was called Practice of Yoga by Swami Shivananda. And in the book it said, well, I was waking up very early and, and I, I was smoking, I was trying to quit smoke, smoking, I stopped eating meat just naturally and I really didn't know what was happening to me. But in the book, it said, wake up early, sit, meditate, don't smoke, don't eat meat, and all these things. So I said, well, if it's written in black and white in the book, it must be something. <laughs> <laughs> so I, you know, I started trying doing those things. And then you, what, did you travel around in Europe in the van, I suppose, and, and then what happened? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we were traveling around Europe and... Because we had a van, there were many hitchhikers in those days, a lot of hitchhikers. So outside Paris, we picked up two young Indian men. And the one looked, I had found a picture of Lakshmi and I did not know who she was, but I really liked the picture. And I had stuck it up in the van. And when we picked them up, he went, oh my goddess, picked us up. We've been standing here for eight hours. <laughs> so I said, what do you mean your goddess picked you up? And so he tried to explain. I'm, I didn't understand what he was talking about. But I noticed he was really relaxed. So I said, why are you so relaxed? He said, he did yoga. So I said, would you teach me? So he said, sure. So we would stop and camp somewhere. And when we stopped the camp, I, I said, he said, okay, I'll teach you the headstand. Yeah. So I had never done anything at all. So uh, he showed me what to do, and I went up, and my body was shaking, yeah. trembling. Yeah. Uh, and he got a hold of me, and I just felt like his relaxation pour into my body, and I just stood very easily. So I that's, thought, that's, you know, this is something. That's funny because I remember working at festivals. I mean, I was not born in the hippie area but um, I love hearing about it and I definitely have a you know an interest in it and so I was working at these festivals I was doing in fact I'll tell you what I was doing I was doing head of tattoos you know with their the Mendy right um yeah. you know it was fashionable a number of years ago you know Madonna had one and stuff and, and so you know one could make a little bit of money out of this and so I was doing that and watching live music and stuff and um, and I woke and one time I pitched my pitch was next to this van and these these guys were kind of like they were doing real tattoos and they were kind of like quite they were kind of far out like a bit far out like and one morning I crawled out of my tent and I saw this guy he had like he's a big guy like with dreadlocks and all this stuff and he's he's standing on his head and I mean I, I came to obviously do a lot of yoga lastly but I couldn't believe it at the time I, I you know I couldn't believe it and I was looking at him for five minutes or something you know what is he doing I mean I'd never seen anything 
it's strange for us to think of it now like where yoga is every bloody where like you know like but at the time <laughs> i looked at it this is like 25 years ago or something you know it's like i might i was flabbergasted i want to do that and i thought there's something about that that i want that i need to do i don't know yeah why you know like it's just a guy standing in his head <laughs> but it seemed significant something seemed poignant yeah. about it yeah i don't know yeah anyway and then after that point where did you go after that so you, you drove the van around you pick and what were the indians doing there uh, by the way in the middle well, of yeah, outside they Paris. Were, they, <laughs> they were from <laughs> mauritius mauritius okay. the little island and uh, Swami Shivananda had a disciple, Swami Venkatesananda, and he had opened up this little ashram on Mauritius. But they, so they, that's where they were from, but they had come to Paris to study medicine. They were studying okay. uh, medicine. And then they had a few days, they were just wanted to travel around. But that's okay. what they were doing. <laughs> So you, you picked up a whole bunch of people and, and um, traveled all around and supposedly you had a good time, came back, sold the van for a profit, I hear, made a bit of money after you. <laughs> Is that right? <laughs> you bought the, we also you the, blew up the, we blew up the engine in, in, in Sweden. We blew the engine up and had the thing replaced for $90. <laughs> a VW van. Beautiful, yeah. stylish, but just a pain in the ass. You know, I had one once. <laughs> Stu- never been stuck on the so- like on the side of a motorway more in my life. You know, like uh, you know, <laughs> travelling in style, but you don't get anywhere. It's uh, yeah, but uh, yeah. So you you um you did that. You uh, sold the van, and then what did you do after that? You you were taken well, up with it. So At this point, you were practicing yoga. You started your journey with yoga. You were practicing daily and you're not eating meat and, you know, right? Yeah. I was, um, I was desperately trying to get to India because I wanted to... We co- I couldn't go there because I had a South African passport. So we had met... We had got as far as Istanbul and met all these hippies who were traveling overland via... There was a cafe in... Istanbul, the blue moon, where everyone yeah. would meet and hang out yeah. and tell what yeah. was going on. Yeah. And the stories of India were like so fascinating and I, I had to get there. So I had an autobiography of a yo- I was, we sold the van, my friend went back to South Africa to complete his architecture. I started living on a kibbutz where my elder sister was living and I had autobiography of a yogi and I cut the picture of Lord Shiva out of it. And I made a little meditation enclosure in the kibbutz dormitory where I put the picture and I would sit and stare at it for hours on end. <laughs> and then my father actually did yoga, but very little. But he had a book, uh, Richard Hittleman's yoga yeah. book. And he, he used to do Nauli and eye exercises and a bunch of few postures. So he still had that book. So when I went, I left the kibbutz and went to live with my parents, trying to decide what to do, I started following that book and practicing the postures and everything. Meantime, I got a job in an architect's office so that my parents would be happy that I wasn't going off the rails 
And one day my mother saw a little ad in the newspaper for a yoga center, Shivananda Yoga Center in Tel Aviv. And she, meantime, I was writing to India to try to get a visa or something yeah. to get there. And my mother gave me this ad and I thought, well, this is not a cave in the Himalayas, but I'll go and have a look at it anyway. And I, I went there and I knocked on the door and the guy opened the door and pulled me in. And that second, I felt like all my worries and troubles just gone. And I felt like I'm home. So I stayed there. <laughs> and that was in, um, in Tel Aviv. At Tel the time, Aviv, right? yeah. yeah. And then I suppose you kind of, it, how well? Well, how long did you stay there, and then you went to to uh, the Bahamas or what? The Shivananda. How did you get to New York in the end? I know you were in the New York ashram of uh, the Shivananda ashram, right? Yeah. So right. I stayed there. If I had to stay, well, we moved that center, and I stayed with the center, and I was helping in the center, living there, helping, working in an architect's office. And meantime, the founder, who is Swami Vishnu Devananda, the complete illustrated book of yoga, he came by and he initiated me. And he came for three days and I felt very closely connected to him because he, when he met me, he shook my hand. And at the moment he shook my hand with both his hands, I felt he was feeling right through me, like he understood not just me now, but like past, present, and future. There was like an intuitive. Mm. So he was definitely, you know, there was destined, we were destined to be together for some time. So if I had have stayed in Israel for three years, I would have had to go to the military, the army, automatically. Again, and since <laughs> second <I'd> have, round. <laughs> again. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And I, I'd already been in that club. I really yeah. didn't like that no. club. Well, especially, I think you had a light, you, you probably got off light compared to the Israeli military as well. You know? That yeah, was, exactly. Yeah. Right. So then, so when you so, left. So yeah. Swamdi said, he said, you come to Canada and take the teach, the one month teacher training course. And he would pay for me to come there and take care of everything. So, uh, a whole lot of adventures took place from because I left Israel and went to London. Right. And uh, so there was, a, you know, a whole series of things that I want to waste time on them now. But I went to eventually to Canada and took the teacher training course and proceeded to get rid of my South African citizenship so, and become a Canadian so that then I could go to India. Right. So you had to relinquish, you have to so relinquish the one. Yeah. You relinquish the one well, to get the other two. Yeah. Right? No. Okay. Right. Right. Plus I still belong to that military club in South Africa. <laughs> they required. <laughs> oh, oh top-ups. Top <laughs> they required. <laughs> okay. So, and then, so you, you did get to India and then you were, you were in the ashram in India and, and you were, I mean, committed to the, do you want to just say something about the Shivananda system for those people? I mean, I suppose, I expect probably we've got mainly Yashtanga listenership, as it were, and uh, they might not know what the Shivananda is. And I 
only done a couple of lessons in my lifetime. I think the sit, it was like there's only a number, a set number of postures, isn't there? You do, and it's quite kind of it's it's more restorative than a shtanga, let's say. Well, <clears throat> you know, it evolved over time. When okay. I started, there wasn't that very strict sequence of postures. In fact, we did a whole lot of postures. And then, uh, and then as things, and, and at that time, there were only a few systems happening. There was like Iyengar was big. The Shivananda system was around. There were a few other older ones, you know, and, but it wasn't like it was today. And little by little, as these other systems started mixing, uh, Swamji felt the need to really fix okay. his system. Right. So he fixed it into these 12 basic postures. But people who were more advanced could do any number of variations of those 12 basic postures, basically. Sounds somewhat familiar. But the big thing about... <laughs> huh? <laughs> I, said, I said it sounds familiar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the big thing, the, the, this is the big thing for me, is this uh, organization was called the Shiva Nanda Yoga Vedanta Centers International. So there were two philosophical viewpoints, and the main one was actually Vedanta, which is absolute non-dualism. And the yoga was seen as something necessary to do to maintain your health and mental focus in order to really, you know, delve into the Vedanta. And really, I began because I wanted to meditate, and then I learned if I could do postures, I could sit still for longer. And then I discovered this Advaita Vedanta, which was, you know, still to this day is really what motivate what, you know, I'm fixated on or whatever you like to say and but still you know maintain a regular practice of asana pranayama meditation mm. puja etc so it was a kind of a nice comprehensive system have they are they separated now Vedanta and shivananda Sorry. are they separated now into two Sorry? schools or these are they separated now into the two no, schools no no, no. okay no, no. The, the Shivananda system combines all this, uh, all these different, uh, you know, Swami Shivananda. Yeah. Back there. Oh, he's there. Like Robert he Swami's said, Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he, he said that we're living in Kali Yuga. In Kali Yuga, people don't have the necessary willpower to pursue one particular path. So his idea was you do a little bit of all these things, a little bit of yoga, a little bit of bhakti, a little bit of karma yoga, a little okay. bit of meditation, etc. And you serve other people. So it was like a little bit of everything rather than, mm. you know, fighting. Because the aim was moksha, liberation. Sounds kind of sensible. Um, <laughs> Maybe compared to the, the uh, you know, asana fixation of Ashtanga, it, it does sound like a, re a reasonable path. Um, so what were your original impressions of India? You went there, how long were you at the ashram? You, were, you, you, know, you went to India, what, 75 or something, I'm imagining? Something around that time? 
Yeah, 72. Okay. So, so uh, I got set. I wanted to go to India. I wanted to go. Finally, I got a Canadian passport and I could go. And uh, Swamji sent me to India to teach a one-month yoga teacher training course at the ashram in Kerala, Nayadam, southern part of India, southern part of the southern part of India, Kerala. So I was sent to teach yoga to about 60 or 70 Indians and 30 or 40 Westerners. <laughs> Somebody said that's sort of like sending, sending, you know, a Gentile person to Israel to teach Jewish woman kosher cooking. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I, I had this idea that, you know, India was this holy place and people were spiritual and and I landed in Mumbai and stayed at a woman who was a student of Swamji's who had a pretty luxurious flat in Pali Hill. That's where all the Bollywood stars stay. And it happened to be New Year's Eve. And on top of every apartment in that neighborhood, all night was a blaring rock music, light show, <laughs> fireworks. I mean, it was, I, in all my time in the West, I'd never been to anything like that. And this was holy India, and it was more like, you know, the biggest rock party I've ever seen. So <clears throat> then anyway, I went down to the ashram. The ashram at that time was sparse, very sparse. You know, there weren't, there were no hardly any amenities. It was India of olden days. And after about 10 days, I went to sleep. And I suddenly, I was trying to, I think I fell asleep, but I woke up like my mind was panicking, like literally being swirled around. Like I, something is happening to me. I, I don't know what it is. This is, I'm losing my mind. Mm. Uh, and I felt like my brain was going round and round. And then I thought, and then I had this experience that India was this big, huge mother. She was actually a mother, like a big, you know, like a, like you see those Venus, you know, those olden day archaeological like that's what she was, and she was going to suck me back no matter how hard I resisted. She was going to like, you know, pull me back into her. And I, and I said, you know, and I realized I can fight this for a thousand lifetimes or I can let go now. I didn't think, I didn't calculate that. It was just, you know, going through my head. And I just let go, and <laughs> I was like sucked back into this. And as I say, after that, you know, India just felt like um, this place where everything was at home, and every you know everything kind of worked out till this day so far. Touch wood. <laughs> <laughs> was that was it an actual watershed moment? Did you actually feel like at the very time something yeah. happened? 
you you felt like there was a yeah a, dif- a different start and an end to that. Yeah, yeah. this was. Either I was going to let go or I was going to hang on to whatever I was hanging on to. And I somehow let go. And so that was a powerful experience. And you say, like, you, on, actually on your kind of biography, yoga as it, as it was. Like, what was yoga then in <laughs> India? But, well, no, that's a great, I think it's a great catch line. You've got a few quite naturally, actually, that come yeah. out of your mouth. And what, what yeah. why... Why do you say yoga as it was? How is it different to, I mean, you know, how is it different to well, <laughs> ask the obvious question? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So what I came to understand, what I initially started doing yoga was to um, You can put it two ways. One is to find absolute peace or get rid of all my problems or any difficulties, pain, sufferings, or anything like that. Just to, you know, that was the purpose of doing yoga. And as I started to study it, you can look at that from the other way is to know who you are, your real, what you are you really? Are you this body? Are you this mind? or what is this universe, etc. So this is what yoga was for. It, <laughs> I always used to say, you know, if we were all saints, no one would have to do yoga. But because we came so far away from our real self being who we are, yoga is this means that tries to force you to to get rid of all these other things that you think you are and make you realize that you are this absolute consciousness. You're not an individual, you're not a person, you're not, you don't belong to a country or a place or a time or even this vast universe which we were talking about the other day, you know, which is endless and infinite, is all just within you, really, and you do not exist as a separate individual entity, particular personal being. So that's what I think yoga was, but <laughs> it's sort of gone down Be- this path. Where <laughs> what do you mean? Like one arm handstand is nothing to do with that? Um, <laughs> yoga in a bikini on a beach is nothing to do with that? Well, um, in a way. Come on, that's, that's part of it. That's part of the oneness. Um, <laughs> well, uh, well, did that's you feel, true. Well, I'll put it your leg. But um, what did it feel yeah. like at that point? Was it evident that what? I mean, was it evident that there was a clear culture of yoga amongst the general populace at that time? Uh, not very much, no. Right. right. And not and very very little in India. There were very few Indians that were doing yoga, and they were considered uh, to be. You know, I mean, that's okay for you to do, but they were, it's not like it is today. Um, there was a, there was a segment of the population that always did yoga, that practiced yoga and, and did it as it was. You, ver- you couldn't come across those people. It was very, very difficult. There were other people who did it for health reasons you know, just like many people are doing it now in the West. 
and they didn't see this whole you also got to know, of course, in India, the idea of spiritual life is very, 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 very rooted in pretty much everything. So, so you know, people were following this one way or other. And then yogis were, uh, you know, a little out of society and a little right, probably, yeah, off the edge. And in the West, in the my daughter's just heading out the door. She's going to the barn. She spends all day in the barn with horses. <laughs> oh, it sounds like you're on a farm yeah. now. Have you got you got chickens outside? I can hear clucking. Is that? Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, we, we are small. <laughs> She's going to a barn down the road, about okay, ten minutes okay. away. All right. Okay. But, but at the beginning, in the beginning of the pandemic. Uh, our kids said, why don't we get chickens just in case, you know, who knows what's okay. going to happen here. <laughs> right. So we <laughs> so we have a small vegetable garden and we got 12 chickens. They're down to nine chickens. Got you eaten some. to things no. that chicken. No, we don't eat them. <laughs> I'm mucking around. We, we eat the eggs. <laughs> yeah, okay. So not pure veg. Yeah. So, um, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I eat eggs now and then, and now more because we have the chickens. So I feel yeah. obliged to eat the eggs. But, but uh, you know, I've been a vegetarian since 1971. But you I do don't. eat mushrooms. Okay. And, I, and well. after I left the ashram, I started eating garlic and onions as well. Okay. <laughs> and, you, and you still do now? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right. right. I never understood about the fertile, like, with an egg, does it have to be fertilized to become an egg? Or can you just have chickens? Or it do you has have to, to be have a, fertilized. You have to have a, have to be, have a rooster somewhere. No, you have to you have, to have no. a rooster. You have to have okay, a rooster. Okay, okay, right, okay. Yeah, we, yeah, I would imagine we don't so. have a rooster. No. <laughs> right. Oh, so you've still got eggs, but they're just not fertilized. Right. Oh, so they produce them anyway, without even without the rooster. They still produce the eggs, and I know this is going to sound incredibly stupid. Every but, day. Right, okay. No, every day a chicken will produce an egg. It takes about 14 days cooking inside and then out comes the egg. It's pretty amazing, actually. That, right. <laughs> I can't see any problem with that then. If it's not fertilized, that's, that's vegetarian, surely. Yeah. But uh, strict yogis don't consider, you know, they're not, not in much in favor of eating eggs. I know, yeah. I just kind of wonder why then. Um, anyway, before we before we go, but I wanted to ask you about diet maybe in the end. But um, before yeah. then, I wanted to kind of get onto your backstory that might interest um, you know those uh, more Ashtanga kind of um, let's say um, uh, 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 interested <laughs> participants, <laughs> exclusively interested participants on Ashtanga yoga and your backstory with it because you you know you had. And um, a unique um, meeting with Norman Allen, didn't you? Um, I think in, in when yeah. you were finally you went to the New York ashram of the Shivananda and you were staying in upstate New York on a, on a, on a very cold and, uh, and deserted ashram up there, right? Right. Yep. Yeah, it was, uh, it was Feb January or February, freezing cold and the water was frozen 
And we didn't have a toilet, it was all frozen. And there were three of us staying there. And we had an alfalfa sprout business in the near, nearby town that I kept us ask, busy. I, 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 and did that actually make money? Did it, did it actually make you enough well, money? Well, it made money because the labor, the labor was free. <laughs> So, <laughs> anything was a profit we, then. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We didn't. We made enough money for us to keep on living. That's all. We didn't make any anything else. And plus, we were working, you know, endless hours to help make that happen. But during that time, this guy called up and he said uh, he wants to come and stay there. And I said, well, you know, it's really cold and we don't have water and there's only three of us. And, and whatever I could do to put him off, he said, good, 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 good. <laughs> so finally I said, sure, you're welcome. So he turned up and he was this, you know, short, gruff guy with a big, long beard. And one of the guys that was with us was a ex-ballet dancer who was also a Hare Krishna devotee. And he was very lithe and limber and strong too. He was very, very strong. And somehow he got together with Norman and Norman showed him Ashtanga yoga practice. And that guy came to me and he said, man, you should see what this guy's doing. <laughs> So Norman gave us a demo of, I guess it was primary series, you know, Sun Salute and a bunch yeah. of postures. Uh -huh. uh, and, you know, Shivananda's system was you do a posture and then you lie down and relax. <laughs> and then you do another posture and then you lie down and relax. You must have not known so what this was you. a mind blow. Yeah, yeah. I bet you were quite surprised. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> and I think it was a big I, mind blow, yeah. We spoke before the interview on um, your description of it, which again, to quote Harmony's podcast, you described on it that you saw it as a whirling energy around a steady center or something like that, which I found really kind of beautiful and poetic. Yeah. But it, was it different then? Yeah. I mean, the way that you saw the practice practice with Norman, was that different than the way that it, you've seen it evolve? Uh, yeah, I think what's the spirit of it, today, the kind of spirit of it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there was something definitely different. Uh, he was like a, this was like an, an engine of something was going on. And, and yet he was very, and it was very uh, strong, you know, he would, he was breathing very, very deeply, very powerfully. And when he would do any of the postures, it was, you know, say it was a spinal twist, whack, round, yes. and then he would twist or something. <laughs> it wasn't, it wasn't like a, you know, like a car, a com yeah. a basically a comfortable thing. It was an intense thing. And, you know, when I started, and then Norman left and he went down to live in lower Manhattan in a loft building belonging to a man named Robert Scheinrock, who, by the way, lived next door to Patavi Joyce in Mysore when they were back there. But in that loft, Norman started uh, teaching classes. 
and he never charged any money for the classes. People would give him something like coffee or something like that. And uh, he was, you know, really pushing people around, myself included, you know. <laughs> so it was uh, th- as a kind of uh, different emphasis on on it then that it wasn't really necessarily meant for kind of comfort, enjoyment, or kind of postural prowess. It was almost a form of penance. It sounds like the way he was practicing, you know, kind of for, well, you know, like a form of punishment, like tapas, you know, like in the you know, when say punishment, but it, it sounds like it was rather forceful and quite quite rough, <laughs> to say the least. Yeah, it was. <laughs> It was definitely forceful. There was there was nothing about um, there was the system that you were going to learn step by step by step. There were no questions and no answers, and there was only do this, do this, do this, and breathe. That was the mo- the most <laughs> yeah, thing I heard was yeah. <laughs> okay, then you breathe, breathe. <laughs> basically <laughs> and what was i mean of being on the kind of receiving end of these kind of uh, brutalities what what was your perspective on it then i mean you you know why were you doing it i mean what was your i mean you'd seen a different type of yoga for the postural benefit of steadiness and meditation right and then you kind of i think for a period until yeah. you got found out by your superiors in the shivananda <laughs> you know you, you kind of got into this yoga right and like what? What was your reasoning? Why, yeah, well, what did you see? How did you see it well, fitted into anything spiritual? Yeah, well, I'd gotten you know, even though I was doing this spiritually, I'd gotten very interested in trying to do more postures, better postures, etc. And within the Shivananda system, I was not getting anywhere except bored. <laughs> I was, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was slowly. I, yeah. I was, it was the, the same thing I again and again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, this suddenly, in you know, less than a few weeks, I suddenly had advanced to be doing things that I had never been able to do, and my body was feeling at the same time it was feeling fairly beat up. I was also feeling lighter and more energy, um, mm. stronger more more focused etc so i thought you know this is a great system let me try to learn more about it but i was doing it illegally <laughs> and, and then you just you stopped because you were kind of you know like obviously you were you were swami then right you were at that time you were you'd had you taken sannyas um right and you were a swami in the shivananda yeah. so you kind of got got told you couldn't do that anymore <laughs> Yeah, well, I was also teaching teacher training courses to aspiring okay. Shivananda yogis. I guess, yeah, that may have been problematic. Yes, I, yes, yeah. I could see that. That yeah. would be a co- seen as a conflict of interest, as it were. You, you, <laughs> you're practicing, right. not practicing <laughs> what you're preaching. Um, and I just wanted to read, like, you know, just just briefly to touch on. And I know you've 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 done this one before, but on the Derek Island thing, your connection with Derek Island, because I I never met Derek. I went to the practice place a year after he died, and you know, I was one of my first teachers with Radha uh, Worrell, his his then partner. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, they had an, a huge influence on the European Ashtanga uh, contingency. Um, and you you were actually the person. Who, didn't you teach Derek his first sun sanitation? So that's yeah. that's a you've got so many claims to fame. Yeah. You, 
I was I was staying I was at the yoga ranch and I had started learning this practice. And then I went down to the Bahamas for a, a few couple of weeks or a week or so during which to help them because I knew that place in and out. You know, I had basically built the ashram up until that point the way it was. In the Bahamas. And I would I went yeah. You weren't just because going when on I first came yeah. there, no. no. <laughs> I was clarifying I, that for the readers. I, I went down to the Bahamas to take a quick holiday. You were going there, just I was cocktails, a cocktails and beach. No, you were you were sorry. So you were on the Bahamas ashram, and that's where Derek and Rada met you. Yeah, I was a prisoner in paradise. <laughs> I was I working twenty four hours a day, seven days a week. There, anyhow. In the meantime, Derek and Rada, they were flight attendants on British Airways. So they would fly down to the Bahamas and take a few days off before they took, you know, got on another flight back. And they, they and then they decided to stay there. And then that was the time I was just starting this Ashtanga. I was really fired up and Derek was like Tarzan. <laughs> Yeah, he was strong, handsome, good-looking, long blonde hair. He was exactly like, you know, like they try to make Tarzan movies. Pretty much, he, yeah, literally. Like Rada. Yeah. Yeah. Rada was kind of She was the kind of equivalent, yeah, really. He was the, the male yeah. counterpart. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I said, hey, Derek, you got to check this stuff out, man. <laughs> and I showed him the sun salute, A and B. So he right away he said, "Wow, this is it!" You know, he he was onto it. He loved it because you know he could just something strong and powerful, and did, could right away how, feel the energy, etc. Did he? I mean, you didn't teach him the rest of it. So what happened then? Uh, no, then I left, and then he, uh, him and Rada was they liked to stay there during the off season when there weren't too many guests because, you know, you could go snorkeling and swim on the beach and you, and you took care of the ashram. But during the season, um, a, lot, a whole lot of guests came down and there was another director who came, Swami Shanmukhananda, very nice, wonderful Canadian guy. And him and Derek, I think, began to butt heads. And so Derek and Rada, and then they were probably accused of practicing foreign type of yoga or something like that. And they, they said, well, time for us to go to my, I actually met them once again in Mysore. I went to Mysore and I was a guest of a deputy superintendent of police, Lakshmi Kantraj Urs in his house, while Derek and Rada were starting to study with Sri K. Patabi Joyce in the beginning, and they came over to say hello. You know, we were friends. I I never went to the uh, Ashtanga Yoga Shala ever in Mysore, <laughs> <See>? but <laughs> but they they came over, and Derek was he he was really angry that Indian bus buses were hurtling through small villages knocking down kids and sometimes killing them and not stopping them. 
Yeah. That's what it he was yeah. really talking about mostly. Obviously, he's, he's pretty fired up and he had a lot of... He'd had a lot of energy for that kind of thing, you know, fight fighting causes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Right, so right. I mean, what what you what I don't know is what happened with your life, like after this period, because you you ended up you're in New Hampshire now. You've got a family, and I'm just kind of sitting here thinking, well, you know, what did you do? Like, did, were you always? I mean, you obviously kind of renounced the, the you know the the uh, the sannyasin, you know, and what have you been doing all these years then? <laughs> well, my my wife uh, came to the ashram in New York as a guest, stayed on as a staff member, and slowly we grew close together. And she was helping me, uh, trying to run the place and do things. And then uh, Swamji died. On my birthday in 1993 and not long after he died meantime for about a year or two I was trying to get out of the ashram I was how can I get out of here I've, I've I'm finished with this plus anyway I've fallen in love with my wife and she with me and and once we were in India and we were traveling with an Indian woman friend of ours and she looked at my hand spontaneously and she said, Oh, Swamiji, I can't tell you this because you're a Swamiji, but you're going to have three children. So I can't. How embarrassing. <laughs> she's, not a, she's not a palm reader. <laughs> she's not a palm reader or anything. She just like sometimes gets divine inspiration, you know? Right. So anyhow, Swamji died and a big power struggle was going on to take who was going to be the big deals in the organization. And I was trying to get out of that. And my wife had studied Russian history in detail. And she would point out that this, this is like what Stalin did. And that person's like Stalin. And this one's like Trotsky, <laughs> and et cetera, et cetera. It's so, funny. So, Basically, I wanted to get out of there, but I didn't know how to do it. And it wasn't too long before my wife got pregnant. And that instance, we said, That'll we're going. Yeah, we're, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That'll do it. <laughs> so we took off to Hawaii and lived with Norman for a while. Met Dr. Swoboda when our son was a few months old, and he's still now, he's 25. And right now, he's with Dr. Swoboda right now, actually, in Vermont. So then uh, we went to India and traveled around India a little bit, came back, and we had to now make a living. <laughs> yeah. Because we had a child. So... I had uh, some graphic art skills. I studied architecture and I taught myself, you know, all the Photoshop and Illustrator and everything right. like that. And hmm. So I, I started getting jobs like for Mac temps and, uh, you know, uh, layout artist jobs and things like that. And after a while, we met someone who told us about a small house in... New Hampshire, 
the people were trying to sell that, it's not one that small, it was quite big actually, they were devotees of Amachi, Amritananda Maima, mm -hmm. the hugging saint, mm. and actually she did some programs there when it wasn't so big, and they were trying to sell the place, so we came up to look at it, and we said we wanted to buy it, and we didn't have any money whatsoever. <laughs> and I saw an ad in the paper for a job at Eastern Mountain Sports, which is like an outdoor retail company selling backpacks, boots, you know, everything to get you out. Uh -huh. So I applied and got, got a job as a production artist for $10 an hour. And we said, hey, this is great. We can live up here <laughs> in this little ashram and we can have $10 an hour. We'll have lunch and dinner and we can raise our kid. And another kid was had just been born and shortly after. So that's what we were doing for about the next 18 years, raising kids. Right. That's what Norman said to me. He said, what am I, he said, what I'm really doing is raising kids. So I found what I was really doing was raising kids. <laughs> but I'm glad I've been mean, also talking yes, to you before, before the, uh, the, the, the podcast that Norman was uh, as rugged as a character as he, he seemed to have been. Um, as uh, much appreciated his kind of little gems um, over the years. Um, so right, so, and then you got involved with, with Namarupa, with Eddie, right? Yeah, well, actually, I had the idea. I was lying one day in, after, in Shavasana after doing some asana. And I got this sort of intuition. You see, what I really missed, there was one thing I missed about the ashram was satsang, company of people that were mm. meditating, practicing, because now I was alone, myself, my wife, and... And I suddenly thought, if uh, I make a magazine about stuff that I like, then I'm going to have to interview people like you're doing now. That will be my satsang. <laughs> so this and, you know, and plus also Yoga Journal is, I didn't like much of the stuff in it, so well, I thought, you know, fair enough. What I'm yeah, interested yeah. in, yeah, like, you're not doing, you're not really doing Yoga Journal. It's not. Uh, yeah. It's like, it's like Yoga so, Journal on steroids. Yeah, yeah like <laughs> it's. So that you know that idea was fermenting for a few years, and then uh, Eddie and I, when I got back and we settled down here in New Hampshire. I talked to Eddie a lot. We were friends from way back because he came to India with me and took the Shivananda teacher training course way back. And we were friends ever since then. And I said to Eddie, and we would get on the phone and complain about the yoga journal. <laughs> so I said, hey, Eddie, why don't we, why don't we do this, you know, this other, this idea, like we can do whatever we want. And he said, okay, great, let's do it. And so we started doing it just like that i think for people that, that have seen namarupa or you know and, and from what i've seen of your your stuff it's it's incredibly interesting for people that don't know the puja and and you know the kind of they don't maybe know much more than asana or even you know just the ashtanga system i mean how would you say if people were more interested in starting something other than asana 
what would be the gateway or the introduction for them? Well, definitely uh, asana and pranayama should remain like a foundation. There's no doubt about that. For all of us modern people, we're, we're basically not going anywhere without a regular practice like that. The next thing is we need to have a philosophical viewpoint of what is, who we are, what is this universe, what is my place in it, uh, you know, so some viewpoint. For me, it's Advaita Vedanta, which is absolute non-dualism, meaning that, you know, there's only one consciousness. But that's a very highfalutin intellectual thing. So in the meantime, you want to keep your ingrained uh, sort of pre-programmed, human beings are programmed to believe. We are, we are, because we are this mystery of the whole universe. So to keep that going, you know, some kind of a puja practice, no matter which deity you are drawn to or will pull you, I feel it's really important to do a regular daily um, devotional practice, no matter what it is. I mean, it can be anything. I got drawn to all the Hindu gods and goddesses and Hinduism and puja and worship, etc. I mean, you're saying that you don't need to know it. I mean, you know it inside out. You, I mean, when you and when you're doing the, you know, I see you do the chanting, um, and obviously, you know, you know it, you know, pretty comprehensively, and it's complex stuff. Um, but can someone get effect benefit from simply just putting a deity and learning a little bit about and just doing some basic obeisances in front of that? Absolutely, absolutely. All the, all you need is some image of who you like, like you have a Ganesh behind you there. So you need something. It can be a photograph. It can be a you know an image, anything. But what you need to do is have it in a place that you can uh, keep that place sort of we call, you know sattvic, pure. Keep it focused around that and and you don't really need to do anything more than light a candle or a ghee lamp or offer some incense or just something but but the big thing is it, it needs to be done regularly that's the big thing because as you do that little by little by little you actually build start building up you know what in sanskrit is called chit c i t or c h i t that's like particles of consciousness so when your mind goes into that place you start generating and feeling the effects of generating that they they basically tiny molecules if you were of of pure awareness, consciousness. Whereas if, you know, you walk into a bar, there's a different type of awareness going on there. If you're super smart, if you're very steady, you can maintain that. So this is all that's really needed. It's just some focal point. That's all. And, you know, ours got out of control, <laughs> as you can see. Yeah. Got He's got some, he has a, he has a big kind of, whole temple behind him whole all kinds of gods yeah. and goddesses yeah um does it progress do you do you do you develop this 
or is simply just yeah it'll develop yeah. no right. little yeah develop over lifetimes not just this is a lifetime many many lifetime endeavor are there any particular texts that you would recommend as a gateway into looking at asana or, or yoga as a more complete system than just asana Uh, yeah, there's so many texts. Um, you Anything know, that inspires that, you off the like, top of your well, head that's a little bit more maybe introductory. Huh. Well, one thing, since I'm in the lineage of Swami Shivananda, he's got endless books very easily and simply and, uh, you know, yeah. sh short sentences, very nicely written, easy to read. Okay free books online you can you know have a look at any of those they're super good introductions in english very little sanskrit that's, yeah that's a relief um and finally <laughs> me do you, do you i mean what do you do about diet we mentioned the, the food earlier is that important as part of this whole I mean, the lifestyle, the, yeah, I, I suppose I would say the, the overarching lifestyle of yoga, when you came out of the ashram, that you were still living a yoga lifestyle, I suppose, even albeit not in an ashram anymore. And, and how does that, on a daily level with the food and with the puja, how does that, how does that go? Yeah, so definitely diet's super, super important. So basically, my wife, uh, cooks mostly. I do some cooking. I cook the dosa. You can see on Instagram. I saw the dosa. Yeah, it looks good. The, yeah, yeah. yeah. But my wife made the sambar and the masala. But basically, we eat very simple, pure, organic, vegetarian food. Same time every day, very little. Uh, I have a habit of drinking coffee. Probably shouldn't drink coffee. But now I've got into roasting green coffee beans, and it's really, really good. Um, eggs I eat now and then. I've never really been fond of eggs my whole life, even before I was a vegetarian. But, um, you know, these chickens are producing really good eggs, so I'll eat them now and then. But, um, you know, diet in, is, is really important to have a good, healthy, organic, nutritious, simple diet, and as much as possible, don't take any stuff that's gonna be, give you problems. You know, don't smoke, don't drink too much, unless you can really handle it. Don't take drugs that, as much as possible. Don't take allopathic drugs, very, very rarely, only if you absolutely have to. Uh, find ways to, uh, nourish your body by, you know, Ayurveda, or we, if we get some issues, we'll go to um, a very good acupuncturist who does acupuncture. So, you know, and basically keep healthy. And the rules are really simple. It's just, you know, eat simply, nutritious, mix of colors of things, Make sure you've got grains and be, you know, your basic proteins and things like that. I'm not a diet fanatic type person, <laughs> but I, I think it's important to have a good day. 
Yeah. What about um, sleeping and, and rising? Do you get up very early? Is it important to, to get this up? This is the single, single most important thing is to go to bed and wake up the same time every day. So generally I go to sleep at about 10 o'clock and waking up at about 4.30, not crazy early. So I have about regular six hours sleep a night. And that, that's the single most important thing out of every single thing that you're doing. It's just like a regulation, regular a regulation, and also you mentioned like eating at the same time. So yeah. regulation, you know, just a general right. regulation right. of your kind of body, body clock and and body, you know, kind of organic clock, as it were. Right. Yeah. Um, right. All right, Robert. Well, I mean, we're almost done. What would you say is the spiritual path for you? What would you say uh, to sum it up? What is this? What is what is this? What is it we're doing here? Yeah, what we're doing. This is what I say, and. God knows yeah. what it is for everyone else, but I, I am constantly pondering the amazing experience that there is no time, there is no space. I am not an individual entity, and yet I am 99.9999% brainwashed that I am somebody living in some place and something. That is, from my understanding and brief experience, not the reality of being. So anything that takes you away from that is, quote, not spiritual. Anything that keeps you on that realization that I am really a consciousness or God or love or whatever you want to call it, is spiritual and how do you do that on a daily basis? How do you do that on a daily basis when you've got <laughs> stuff when you have to be a person? Can you do the, the two? Can you do the two things in tandem in parallel? Yeah, well, you you're supposed to try. <laughs> so you know, but the good thing is you can't. And the other thing is you're going to die. I'm going to die. Your body's going to die. You're definitely going to die. So you got to get ready for that death when your body's going to die are you getting ready for dying so every minute of your waking apparently alert you know non-sleeping consciousness should be i'm going to die what's going to happen <laughs> etc so in other words to know that i'm not limited to this body here and now so so just one thing sorry so yeah, no, no, in order all, to all. do in order to do that we need to train ourselves, and yoga is training you to keep your mind in that space. You know? And it has to be done every day. An Olympic athlete has to train a lot to be able to you know, run 100 meters very fast. <laughs> this is to, be, you know, to know that I am not limited to this physical space that I'm inhabiting right now is a constant, 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 you know, attempt. And the yoga just helps you to do that, apparently. <laughs> is, is that knowledge guesswork or do you have definite facts in, in your possession? <laughs> 
Ah, uh, you mean what I've just been saying? Yeah. Okay, I, one thing is, <laughs> just before, when I was in that f center in Tel Aviv, in the beginning, I, I took a, a few weeks off and I went into the desert and I went into this uh, little monastery by chance in this dry riverbed outside of Jerusalem. And when I was there, I had an experience that I am that consciousness absolutely for a fact, <laughs> except at the same time, something within that consciousness said, aha, this is what you are, but you cannot be here now because you've got a lot of karma to work out and you must go ahead and work all that karma out properly and diligently and carefully and responsibly as you can. And if you do work all that out, then you'll be in this, whatever that was, which was infinite, absolute, timeless, spaceless, causeless. I, you know, there's no, you can't put a word onto any of that. So yes, there's a fact, <laughs> but it's my fact. <laughs> 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 wonderful, wonderful. Yeah. Thanks, Robert, nice. for the interview. Um, really appreciated it, and uh, well, I hope you enjoyed it too. Yeah, that was great. Very nice to meet you and speak to you, and with a name like Adam, you cannot go <laughs> wrong. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> yeah. Thanks a lot. <laughs>